Many patients that have an eating disorder are not forthcoming about their issues. How can you uncover eating disorders in your practice? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Vicki Burkus, psychiatrist and eating disorder specialist in Tucson, Arizona. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you, Vicki. So can you help us? What can you suggest we look for on, say, a physical exam if our patient is not talking about their eating disorder? Leslie, that's crucial because they're not going to talk about their eating disorder. So when a patient comes in, and let's say they're very thin, in today's society, that's probably more common for adolescents. And the things to look for is a fine, hairy covering sort of like what babies are born with. That's called lanugo. And so if on physical exam you start seeing that fine baby-like hair on their back, on their chest, on their arms, that might signal that their body is trying to keep itself warm. It's a sort of insulation against having very little body fat. The other thing that people don't realize is that someone with anorexia may be purging. It's called a purge-type anorexia. And that means if they're vomiting, a lot of times what you can look for is on the back of the hand is sort of a red excoriated area, and that's called a rustle sign. And that means as they're putting their finger down their throat, the back of their hand is getting scratched by their teeth. So it's something that can be very obvious on the back of the hand, but you need to know to look for it. So back to Lanugo for a minute, is that only in adolescents, or do you see grown women with that? No, you'll see it in any age woman. Okay. It, it's very interesting what the body will do to sort of compensate for that lack of body fat. So it, it sounds like in terms of looking for eating disorders in our practice, it's very similar to substance abuse? Well, I think with substance abuse, people may be more apt to talk about what's getting in the way. You know, if, if they're abusing substances, sometimes there's consequences that are pretty obvious, whether it's the loss of a job or recent tickets or different things that may be affecting their ability to, um, say, pay for medicines or follow what the doctor's asking them to do. In an eating disorder, it's much more subtle sometimes, especially if you're looking at someone that's a bulimic who may be normal or just a little bit above normal body weight. And they're going to come in and their chief complaint may be, I'm tired or, um, you know, my mom wants me to come in and just get checked. And what they're not telling you is they may be bringing a blood when they're vomiting. Mm -hmm. So what else on physical exams? So Russell's sign, Lanugo, any other tips? Obviously, if they're coming in maybe for bone pain or they've had a fracture, they're coming maybe into the ER, and yet they haven't had sufficient trauma to a certain area. I've had patients that just open a car door and suffer a fracture of, their, of one's bones in their arm, or they step off a curb. And it's that kind of history that would clue in to maybe there is severe osteoporosis. You know, is there scoliosis? Are they, you know, what's their posture look like? And just looking at their, their hair, a lot of times people who aren't getting proper nourishment, obviously their hair might be falling out, like mm -hmm. black luster. Um, if they are purging, you may see or hear a recent history of dental problems because it wears the enamel off the teeth. Or they may have real poor dentition or a lot of cavities or complain of pain in their mouth. You know, as the body starts to go into that fight-or-flight mode because it's not getting enough calories, 
what you see is different systems start to shut down. So they may not have had a period for months if they're female. If they're male, low testosterone levels, there may be some changes physically. And again, you know, docs are more apt to look at females than males, but it, it can be just as important to consider a male coming in, especially if he's an athlete, a wrestler, a gymnast, a runner. So how common are eating disorders in men? Well, they suffer in our society the same pressures as women right now. If you look at the magazines, if you look at the rock stars, at the movie stars, there's this sort of inverted V, typical body image. And these guys want the thin waist and the big shoulders, and they're going to do what they have to do to fit their distorted view of what they should look like. So a lot of them will go for that very small waist and a very broad shoulder look, sort of the inverted V, we call it. Mm -hmm. But the pressures are there for men to really succeed, whether it's with women, whether it's in sports, whether it's in school. And that can, can lead to people who find that their eating disorder is the only way they can deal with feeling a loss of control in other areas of their life. So are you seeing more men in your practice now with these problems? Not as much in my practice because, again, men tend to not come in that frequently for help. And because it's so overlooked by the family, by their friends, it's really not until things get pretty desperate that a male will finally be identified and sent in for a specific treatment. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is eating disorder specialist, Dr. Vicki Burkus. Dr. Burkus, now, can labs be at all helpful in diagnosing eating disorders? They can. In fact, Sometimes I don't even meet the patient, and I can just look at their lab and say, uh-oh, something's going on nutritionally with this patient. For example, if I see someone walking in the door and they're very, very thin, their triglyceride level and their cholesterol level may be elevated because this is a signal by the body saying, uh-oh, we're not getting fat in the diet, which is usually the one part of the food chain that, that, that these patients stay away from. They are not going to eat anything with fat in it. And so the body responds by holding on to whatever supplies of cholesterol or triglycerides that's in the tissue. So their blood levels may be elevated. And another thing that happens with people that are restricting their food intake is that they will look hypothyroid on a lab panel. And immediately the instinct is to give Synthroid or some supplement in order to bring the T4 back up but yet that's not the treatment of choice for a hypothyroid picture induced by restricting food intake. And so what happens is they go to their doctor knowing that they're going to be put on something that's going to increase their metabolic rate further, and that will help them lose more weight. So are their TSHs elevated as well in that scenario? It can be, yes. So are you suggesting that every person we see with hypothyroidism, we maybe should consider eating disorders? If their body weight is low. If in your mind that red flag goes up as they walk into your office or, into, or as you walk into the examining room and you see someone that looks extremely thin and their lab comes back showing that, you know, the, the gut instinct is to treat. But yet that, that will be a real red flag. And that's where you start saying, you know, tell me about a typical day about your food eat breakfast, and just sort of ease into the conversation about what, what do they let themselves eat during a day. So I'm presuming instead of giving them thyroid, you feed them. 
Right. The only <laughs> cure for that is refeeding. And yet even that has to be done very carefully because you can induce what's called a refeeding syndrome, which again can increase metabolic rate. Because remember, the body's starving, and the body doesn't know why. Mm -hmm. So anytime you feed too quickly to someone who's drastically anorexic, the body's going to get more hypermetabolic because it's using any calories it can to play catch-up. You know, it needs to repair cells. It needs to replace anything that hasn't been replaced because of the severe restriction. Any other labs that are helpful, like elk FOS or albumin, anything like that? Well, a lot of times what you'll see is a low protein because, again, what they're doing is they're using up their carbohydrate storage and then they're using their lipid storage. And sometimes it depends. The body starts to use protein because that's mainly what they're taking in, in their um, diet. But, you know, the body's not set up to use protein for energy. So what you'll see sometimes is either a low albumin because their just total intake is so low, or especially in males that are using protein shakes and supplements and, and whatever, you may even see a high albumin. So it just really varies based on what they are eating. Is blood sugar at all helpful? Not really because most patients will know that all they have to do is eat one meal before going for lab work, and they can bring their blood sugar up to a normal level. Mm. So that's, that's, it's very interesting to me after all my training how much someone with an eating disorder will know about food and nutrition and caloric intake. Mm. But if they have a normal lipase level and their amylase is elevated, that's a pretty good in indication that they are purging. Well, we've talked a lot about anorexia and bulimia, but aren't there other types of eating disorders as well? There is, and probably the most frequent patient we'll see will fit into a category sort of a catch-all category called eating disorder NOS, not otherwise specified. You know, and people will look at people who are overweight and assume they have an eating disorder. But in this category, this can refer to someone that's overeating or binge eating, but yet doesn't fit criteria for anorexia and bulimia. And even people that are restricting food may not meet some of the criteria for a strict diagnosis of anorexia. And people that are purging, whether it's with exercise or laxatives or with um, vomiting, they may not meet the strict criteria for bulimia nervosa. So we have this catch-all phrase called eating disorder not otherwise specified. Now, under investigation is this binge eating disorder, but it's not a formal sort of classification as of yet. It's really interesting when people come in that are overweight to assume that their eating is out of control. But that may not be the case. So it's, it's very, you know, if you look at their blood levels, sure, you want to make sure that someone isn't diabetic. So you'll get a fasting glucose or you'll get a hemoglobin A1C. And you want to make sure that, again, there's, there's nothing going on. You know, a lot of people that are overweight are having problems because of insulin resistance. So it's very hard for them to lose weight. But there's a lot of factors that go into it that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have an abnormal lab panel. It may come back very normal. But you look for the hypertriglyceremia. You look for elevated cholesterol levels. You know, you're going to look for thyroid abnormalities. So those are just sort of the basics that you're going to do on any patient that comes in uh, for a routine exam. So, so what you're saying is every patient that is obese is not necessarily suffering from an eating disorder? Did I get that right? That's right. And, you know, I sort of laughed when I saw the um, 
the definition of binge eating disorder because when you think about our football players or our marathon runners that binge before a game, are we going to give professional athletes a psychiatric diagnosis? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe another one, but not binge eating, huh? Right. I mean, so I think we have to be very careful in who we're going to consider having a psychiatric diagnosis that's going to stay with them. The easy answer is no, not everyone's overweight would fit criteria for a psychiatric diagnosis of an eating disorder not otherwise specified. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Vicki Burkus. We have been discussing how to detect eating disorders in your patients. I am Dr. Leslie Lund. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.